has to do with a crisis in our community, not even in our community, in our in our country. You could probably argue globally as well. And it's it's about drugs and so many people that that overdose, that have addictions, and what to do about some of those situations. The Alberta government is trying to tackle this by considering introducing legislation under which people with severe drug addiction, addictions, excuse me, could be placed into treatment without their consent. And I'm sure there are people that hear this and think this might be a good option. You you force someone into treatment, you fix the problem, but there are major ethical concerns in doing something like this. And we're going to get into some of those concerns and why this is a human rights violation to to do this if this goes forward with our guest who is an emergency room physician at the royal alex and stollery children's hospital dr shazma mathani dr mathani thank you so much for making the time for the show really appreciate it Thanks so much for having me today. You've been really outspoken on a lot of issues that have to do with uh, with medical concerns in our community. And with this one as well, you posted a really passionate testimonial to your Instagram page with, with a reaction that even you said kind of surprised you. It was quite emotional. It was quite raw. But I think that it's really important to, to talk about why it was that way. Because this ultimately would be a violation of human rights, right? Can you speak to why you're passionate about this? You know, I think you hit the nail on the head there, Chelsea, with it being a violation of human rights. And the I think what really got me getting emotional about this in particular is because this is often a population. So people who use drugs are often a population um, who are already uh, inequitable when it comes to lots of other socioeconomic factors. So they're typically houseless. They have mental health um, concerns as well. There are um, kind of other cultural um, and and race-type inequities that exist in this group, and they are um, often forgotten about. And and because most of the general population can't identify with them, with this most vulnerable group in our society, they're not advocated for, they're forgotten about. And um, they're placed in this position where, you know, we're we're talking about them without having any sort of... um, feedback or um, hearing what they actually need and what they actually want. And so hearing that this proposed legislation was going to go as far as completely taking their rights away and putting them in abstinence programs without their consent, um, it really just hit me in terms of, of, of how inappropriate it was. I think you make a really good point when you talk about the fact that this is a group that most people can't identify with. And so therefore, I think they're seen as as a problem to be fixed. And and so I think there will be people that hear of this proposed legislation, I want to clarify that it is just proposed, that, that would force them into treatment. Because some people might think, well, isn't this... The, the right option? Isn't this a way to sort of fix that quote-unquote problem? So what do you say to that? So I say I always follow the evidence. Um, as a physician, that's that's what my driving force is. And in looking at the evidence for forced treatment, there is no evidence actually that involuntary treatment has better outcomes than voluntary treatment. There's no evidence that it reduces crime. So all of these arguments that people have um, in support of this, it's actually not borne out in the evidence. And we know that there is actually evidence for a much broader um, kind of society-based approach to this in terms of harm reduction and wraparound services that does actually have evidence for working and for having long-term positive effects on people who use drugs. 
So what's what's the hope then from your perspective and I would imagine probably the broader medical community then to try to push back against this proposed legislation? Is it just to amplify your voices and hope that this isn't something that officially goes through? Can you be um, can you can you be a part of advocating for this to not happen? I think continuing to make sure that, like you said, because um, this is a population that people forget about and can't identify with, it's it's hard for the broader population to have a good understanding of why this would be dangerous, of why it's not appropriate, of why it's not going to work. And so continuing to have that conversation um, out in the media, out in the public about why it's not or how it's not evidence-based, how, um, you know, it's not trauma-informed care. It is dangerous from a, from a even a death standpoint because when we have these patients who are in forced recovery where they're abstinent from opioids uh, in particular for a short period of time, their tolerance for um, opioids goes down. And the relapse rate with opioid uh, use disorder in particular is extremely high, um, sometimes uh, in excess of 90%. And so when they get released from these programs and um, they relapse, their tolerance is down and their risk of dying is extremely high in that time. So these programs are actually dangerous. And what I do want to do is make sure that we start having a conversation about what we do need to do in order to support this population. So looking at things like housing, addressing the inequities in society, looking at harm reduction, um, looking at kind of bolstering outpatient treatment, because that's what has the most evidence in terms of the treatment of opioid use disorder, looking at things like income supports, mental health funding, just reducing the societal stigma surrounding um, people who use drugs, uh, looking at a safe supply. So these are all things that have evidence behind them and, and support this population rather than forcing these people against their will into something that we know does not have evidence. So really my hope is to start having a conversation around those things and, and helping um, people realize that uh, this is not an appropriate option, that we have a lot of options that we should be focusing our efforts and our funding on. How how well communicated are the some of the solutions that you just mentioned between the government and the medical community? And I'm not trying to draw you know a, a line in the sand here where you're for or against any government, but I'm wondering what those conversations look like. Are are they happening? Is there any kind of consultation when it comes to making decisions like this with with physicians and medical professionals like yourself that do have some evidence to, to suggest that maybe this doesn't work? I think that there could definitely be more conversations happening, not only for medical professionals, um, but people with lived experience uh, that are, you know, we, we can't talk about people who use drugs without involving them in the conversation. And so I think that more, more of that dialogue needs to happen so that it's based on lived experience, but also based on, like I said, trauma-informed care and the evidence behind it. Dr. Mathani, thank you so much for sharing your perspective. Really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for having me today. Of course. And that's Dr. Shazma Mathani, who is an emergency room physician at the Royal Alex and Stollery Children's Hospital.